Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Mindful Muslim podcast where we discuss Islam, spirituality, psychology and mental health. Um, if you are a regular listener, jazakallah for coming back. And if you are new here today, then welcome and jazakallah for tuning in. My name is Minha and I am today's podcast host. And today I spoke to Maya Salam, who is a psycho uh, dynamic psychotherapist. And we spoke about all sorts from um, having an identity crisis to parenting um, to talking about um, ethnic minorities and mental health and, and, and a lot more lots of good stuff mashallah um, so please do tune in um, and subscribe and listen and share and all of that good stuff and also do leave a review inshallah Assalamu alaikum, Maya. I hope you're well, inshallah. Jazakallah khair for joining us this morning after um, what seems like a long time. <laughs> um, and we've had a lot of hiccups along the way, but alhamdulillah, we're here. Um, so I don't usually like to say the bio of our guest because I feel like it gets repetitive. Um, and I know you obviously know yourself more than I do. So inshallah, if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers um, about who, you, who Maya is and what you do and your background and stuff like that. Okay. Walaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Well, I'm Maya Salam, and I, I've got uh, multiple roles in life. So I'm a mother, I'm a wife, and I'm a psychotherapist, and I'm a whole lot of other things. Alhamdulillah. Um, and um, I, I work, um, I have my private practice. I uh, also work in um, in a center called the Maya Center at the moment. I mean, I have mm. been working with many centers before, but right now I'm working in one center, which is a women's center, where it's, um, you know, just um, only women allowed, <laughs> which is really mm. great uh, for me eh, as a Muslim woman, where I can be me. Absolutely. You know. So, um, yeah, and that's who I am. So I have heard that your background includes a lot more than what you've just let on. So um, you've got like an educational background in biotechnology and nutrition, and you obviously said you're a psychotherapist. Um, So tell me a little bit more about the nutrition side of things and how you ended up in counseling and therapy. What drew you to counseling and therapy? Yeah, so I'm quite old, so I have a huge, <laughs> no. like, um, history, subhanAllah. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I, yeah, I started my first degree with biology and nutrition, and then I, then I did uh, um, some work in uh, um, chemical pathology. Then I went back to uh, mm. another degree called uh, physiology, yeah. and then I did neuroscience. Wow. And then after that, I, um, I worked in a guy's hospital. Um, and um, it was really fascinating, actually, uh, in the 90s, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first degree was in the 80s and the second one in the 90s. And then, um, then I did um, teaching um, in um, a Muslim school called Arisala in teaching, mm-hmm. uh, in um, secondary boys. Um, so actually, eventually, then uh, 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And... I realized actually something really drastic happened to our community as well. Mm. 
I touched us in a very deep way and people were very scared. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt, um, I, I mean, in my biology, my first degree, I did some psychology mm-hmm. in, as a behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. uh, on behavioral psychology, and um, then I was interested then. So obviously with the 9-11 happened, mm-hmm. I kind of uh, did few courses in um, understanding children, understanding mm-hmm. teenagers, and I thought, you know, um, I went into counseling then. Mm. Uh, because there was a new need what for it. What were the uh, physical signs of fear after 9-11? I was quite interested in that because obviously that happened in America yeah. and obviously we know Islamophobia is worldwide. Yeah. Um, but obviously from someone who was around during that time, uh, I, I think I, I was I was too young, I think, at that mm. time. I probably didn't know what was happening. Um, what were the physical signs in our community, especially in the UK yeah. and London, I find the Muslim community were really suffering. Mm-hmm. They were really fearful. Uh, the reaction from the general public, and um, you know, obviously there was a lot of arrest and a lot of unrest, mm-hmm. and uh, people were very scared. They mm-hmm. didn't want to go out of their homes. They're really scared. Mm-hmm. So you know, for that reason, actually, I think uh, my interest came back to psychology mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. and then I trained to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in uh, first I trained as a person-centered psychotherapy um, uh, counselor, and then I realized in London mm-hmm. there is more psychodynamic work, and they mm-hmm. were not accepting just a counselor with mm. person center in the main centers that mm-hmm. uh, most of the counseling was happening. Mm-hmm. Then I went in to do some um, short-term dynamic psychotherapy, mm-hmm. but even that wasn't very, it was a Canadian one. <laughs> then I went into yeah. doing um, psychodynamic psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I actually liked doing the long way because it actually gave me scope to understand all the rest mm-hmm. of it as well. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, ever since I'm constantly studying something mm, or the other, yeah, because sure. it, my work, when I say psychodynamic psychotherapy, it's not all Freudian, which a lot yeah. of people get like worried about. Mm. It's actually dynamic psychotherapy yeah. more, because then I can bring in lots of different yeah. things, including Islamic aspect, yeah, Islamic definitely. psychology. And obviously uh, having your person-centered background yeah. uh, as well, you give a lot of uh, yeah. autonomy to the person that you're Absolutely. You're helping. But then within uh, psychotherapy, they also have the mm. same actually it's, it's the base for any counseling mm. anyway mm. so it's not any different mm. um, yeah so that's where I you know I came into psychotherapy and then I start practicing um, I got you know like finished in 2006 and mm. then I started practicing um, working with youth first actually mm. in the um, Merton uh, youth awareness program okay. Yeah. And from there on, then I went into Open Door to mm. another young people's, yeah. yeah. I think I've heard of those, yeah. Yeah, I think they closed down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And it's all about drug and alcohol and all that kind mm. of thing. So I trained in all those Not drug, sure. alcohol for a, quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went into um, more psychoanalytical area. Okay. Where so psych- would you say your motivation to... Uh, become a psycho- psychodynamic psychotherapist um, was rooted in wanting to help the, yeah. the Ummah and wanting to help your community. Because um, my background is very much um, Islamic. Because it's really diverse as yeah. well, mashallah. Like Perhaps. you've got addiction in there, you, you've got nutrition mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. youth awareness and stuff like that. So... Yeah, it's about more about human psychic, I suppose, I'm mm. interested in mm. and how they work and what's, you know, and it's fascinating how I would um, I would say that, you know, because we have 
Uh, we are all unique. Mm. Every uh, our fingertips are unique. Yeah, our DNAs are unique. So if we, if there is uh, what six billion people, then there mm. each one of us have a unique psychology as well, because our um, everything kind of molds us into an unique person. So we all have a different psychology, and it's fascinating, mm. you know, for me. Uh, is that how many different types to sit in front of me. Nobody comes, we, we, I don't get like a batch of people with the s- same kind of issues. They're unique mm. to that person. Mm. So I have to be very careful uh, how I deal with the every single person mm. in a different way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So obviously I think we were having a discussion pre-podcast um, about how with the Muslim community is we're all about education and da'wah, which is great. Like yeah. we're, we're all about um, spreading Islam and teaching yeah. Islam to our younger generation. And you mentioned how within our communities, we're not quite there yet in terms of understanding mental health and actually walking the talk. Is that the right way <laughs> to say it? Yeah. So actually doing the action that we speak about. Um, so I know at the Maya Center, you obviously work with women who have experienced domestic violence and abuse and, and all that sort of stuff. What is is that, how do we deal with the stigma? Is that still a stigma in, men- in Muslim communities? Um, you know, and how do we how do we deal with that? And what's going wrong Which, within the community? What stigma you're talking about? Um, like stigma around mental health in oh, general yeah. or like, and if you could reflect, if you could talk about your experiences specifically at the Maya Center and working yeah. with women and what the stigmas that women face and yeah, yeah so basically the, where we're going wrong. Yeah, <laughs> in, yeah, in the Maya Center we get obviously the, um, you know, in all multi-ethnic people from London because mm-hmm. it's, in, it's based in Archway, it used to be based in Finsbury Park. So we get all sorts of people um, with different kind of issues. Um, mm. And again, like I said, it's a unique issue with the unique people. And then I also get a lot of Muslims. Mm. Um, and um, I also do language uh, mm. therapy as well, because some people don't have uh, English as their language. So uh, I can understand Hindi, I can understand Bengali. Sure. So I, I do I do understand Arabic to to extent, mm. but not uh, yeah, quite. That's so um, <laughs> yeah, so Alhamdulillah, so able to sort of bring all of this in, and each one brings. It's about domestic violence, about FGM. It's about, mm. uh, and I, I what I was telling you earlier is that it's fascinating how um, how cultural aspect is. Um, you know, we, we do a, a lot of cultural issue there actually because mm. people from multi-ethnic, a black Asian background, you know, um, we kind of just do special training in that. Mm-hmm. Um, because where I was trained is in Surrey and uh, they were not able to kind of um, tap into the cultural aspect and a lot of psychotherapists kind of miss that. They don't understand. Um, their background and you know so we were trained especially uh, with the you mm. know ethnic um, background issues in, and actually there are some great people out there called you know Barton Black mm-hmm. Nation Network they do train people mm-hmm. especially for the ethnic background mm. um, identity crisis we talked mm. about which is huge in uh, yeah, our culture at the moment. And often people present it a different way, like I've got mm. depression, I've got this, I can't anxiety, I can't mm. cope with my parents, mm. I can't cope with my children. And when in the root of it, I, I find actually is the uh, misunderstanding of culture. Mm-hmm. And there seem to be very, uh, very little bridging mm. those. Um, 
So do you, you know? think the stigma comes from our individual cultures? Um, I mean, there is stigma in every culture. This mm. is it's not a it's not about. I've noticed a lot of people say in our culture, but actually, if you think about it, there is stigma in every culture. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes to be labelled yeah. as mental, yeah. right? And it's not like that because we always go to the like yeah. bigger things. But in fact, it's like a universal pers- stigma. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. Yeah. But some um, all the cultures have their own um, stigmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some some of us have to uh, go past that, I suppose, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, I, you know, once they come into counselling, mm. that seems to kind of doesn't stay for long, mm-hmm. you know, which is good. Um, and I think even the English people I notice who are born and brought up and seen it, although there is less of it, mm-hmm. they still have stigma. Mm. They still don't want to Absolutely. avoid it. Yeah. So I, I don't, in my experience, I didn't find that to be a uh, uniquely Muslim thing. Okay. You know? mm. um, although some culture from in, within their col- uh, country, for example, Saudi Arabia, mm. you know, the, the, I was recently, recently listening to some people that they actually have a huge issue with it because uh, even the language is kind of describes it a certain way and mm. they don't want to know. Yeah. Uh, it's a gene possession, by the way. Yeah. It's become the uh, other label that, you know, you're yeah. possessed. It's better to be possessed by a gene, which is obviously, then, yeah. um, you know, uh, debatable, yeah. right? Because we had a debate about this and, mm-hmm. you know, there's no such thing, you know, as someone going in you, but, you know, because this contradicts the Quran and the Hadith and, um, but there is huge a belief that it is, it actually enters people. So though it's e- easier to kind of say that, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I had a lot of clients coming to me saying, oh, I'm possessed, um, I've, you know, and after looking at it, after going through their counseling, they, you know, and, you know, we realize, and they eventually uh, accept that actually, I'm not possessed the way I, I used to think, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because life has, um, you know, uh, she was unable to, for example, cope with the anxiety and depression, whatever was going on. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, <coughs> so the stigma I'm saying yeah. is that it's in every culture. It's yeah, not yeah, just yeah, uh, a Muslim culture. Yeah. Mm. There may be uh, um, less forthright to come through counseling mm. for various reasons, even for money aspect. Mm. Uh, I don't want to spend. Yeah, of um, oh, I don't want to invest in myself. Mm. I don't want to look into, and it's always kind of it's better to blame on someone else or mm. something else. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So, how much, if we go back to the topic of abuse, uh, for example, just like generally, how much do you think our cultures or different cultures uh, contribute to the cycle of abuse and trauma? And you know, is it really a um, an important factor as to why people don't get help and why people don't go out to get support like do you think culture feeds into that mentality and yeah. how much do you, you, you see abuse be abuse is a big thing yeah. <laughs> what kind of abuse because yeah. they're a huge amount Absolutely. of a different type of abuse yeah. in this world and so uh specifically what do you mean so i think if we just think of it from like a broad aspect like someone being taken advantage of yeah. whether that is financially physically yeah. or mentally so if we look at abuse 
in general yeah um, or like even like if it's a negative thing to do yeah. with an individual how much does culture contribute to the cycle of that abuse usually continuing? usually because think it that, that I admit because it's like in a in a Western culture it's out there they're, they're not afraid to speak mm-hmm. but whereas we are kind of constrained by many mm. things uh, you know the cultural aspect the religious aspect the elderly thing the it, there's a huge amount of um, forbidden you know uh, in enclaves or corners that mm-hmm. you can't you can't speak you can't say this which I think is really damaging mm-hmm. because um, if a person not able to speak and able to say what they want to say and then but then it doesn't mean it's not going on inside mm-hmm. them because inside them there's going on mm-hmm. and they're not able to express it which is much more damaging mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so how would you sort of what would be the way forward for somebody like that to express what's going on inside like what what would you say to somebody who is being restricted by their culture to get support what would you suggest for them well i would say to them that they they need to find people who listen who listens mm-hmm. to them and find help through uh, friends even if it means they have to go to the internet and find mm. support externally because they don't want to be stuck in this situation. Mm-hmm. They need to kind of be themselves. And um, because, you know, they need to kind of, they will be able to, sh- sh- um, and I don't know, nowadays search online mm-hmm. or if they can't go to a good friend that they think they can, they may help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's always someone they can uh, find to, mm-hmm. to, you know, you've got to be able to um, uh, take lead. Yeah. Uh, and get help for yourself yeah, really yeah absolutely um, um <clears throat> so i wanted to just talk a little bit about your work specifically to do with all, all the centers that you've worked in actually so i think there's a there's a common sort of idea when people are experiencing abuse or domestic violence for example like if we're talking about physical abuse mm. um that let's just take domestic violence for example that in order to get help from domestic violence you get put into a refuge and you get taken away from the person that's like you know bringing the violence onto you and then that's sort of it and then the victim uh might get some trauma therapy or some counseling and some support um but i i personally feel like and i've witnessed this that that's that's where people think it stops like for domestic violence that's it you just need to be taken out of the situation that's it your problems Mm -hmm. are solved but i think you obviously know that's that's not true so what else do people like that need yeah i mean i get a lot of that actually i get a lot of women coming from Mm. the refuge and they're not even able to make it to the um counseling mm-hmm. session sometime because they don't have childcare mm-hmm. or no one's there to help them it is horrendous you know um i mean that's just my regular <laughs> clients mm-hmm. actually a lot of a lot of my le- regular clients in this situation and sometimes they're not able to even complete their um mm-hmm. uh, course of counseling that we offer them um and it's always difficult and y- you're right you know the, it's it's not end of it when they just go in maybe even beginning of a bigger issue for them because they're not skilled sometimes they don't know where to go how to get get mm-hmm. to um even find help and mm-hmm. spiritually it's very interesting as a muslim is that spiritually it feels um they get detached subhanallah and mm. it's very sad that they find that there's a detachment with their mm-hmm. faith at the end mm. because they when they don't find any help 
they don't find anywhere to go no one's listening to them uh, um, eventually they kind of feel hopeless like, yeah, okay, eventually, not even Allah is listening to yeah, me eventually obviously uh, in their um, moment of uh, despair mm. they do things that they wouldn't do otherwise mm. and yeah that's yeah. that's the saddest thing but it's that's so that's do you think all of that could be avoided if we had like if it if if looking after such people was a community effort do you think that all of this could be avoided i really i mean i i i sometimes feel masjids could do mm. a lot more by um giving a platform to women to be able to speak about what's going on mm. with them and you know um and even brothers because sometimes we can't forget that actually some of the brothers are in in this situation and they're not able to speak it's, but it's worse for brothers Absolutely. because the fact that they they're supposed to be man they're yeah. supposed to be able to contain mm. and this is this is a it's a huge stigma for them mm. actually even mm. you know unless they are very um you know kind of robust in some mm. way otherwise they suffer in silence as well mm. and I, yes of course because i think how our community is um bases at the masjid mm-hmm. and if the masjid can't uh, have a platform and a, a place for them to come how else can we then help uh, in the circumstance the way we live here we don't have other places other agencies where they can go to other than you know very few like mm-hmm. you know solace i think uh, for river sisters mm-hmm. is one of them and um but there is no name place where we can kind of refer mm-hmm. people to mm-hmm. um and i i just i do feel masjid could do so much more mm-hmm. to f- uh, accommodate people accommodate mm-hmm. uh, mental health uh, areas mm-hmm. and things like that mm-hmm. which all this year they have to actually shut the door on us mm-hmm. and i think now uh, they're trying to open few of the doors mm-hmm. people have been knocking on them and knocking on them mm-hmm. and knocking on them mm-hmm. and i noticed that they start they start talking now yeah you absolutely know. i mean inspiration mind so we did imam training a couple yeah. of um years ago and we also have like a, a ready made khutbah mm-hmm. that people can read uh, that imams can read yeah. on on friday at juma but still trying to get masjids involved i mean yeah. alhamdulillah like we're very blessed to be able to do workshops and events in masajid um but getting them involved is is a task in itself yeah. and you know i think the elder generation of brothers mashallah they you know they paved the way for us uh, younger generations to be able to build a legacy within these masjids um and i do definitely think it's mm. improving but if there was like three things you could see or you would want to see in your mm. local masjid what would those three things be um well i would like them to be more welcoming to the women mm-hmm. because they are not so welcoming uh, i have been chased myself <laughs> out of masjid <laughs> which i made few complain about um you know and i basically you know they're so unwelcoming some of the masjid mm-hmm. for women and um imagine going to and talking to them about things and also some people they don't have the skills or the means to help mm. the person and they actually damage them even more by saying no 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 you just kind of need go, go back to him mm. you know you'll be fine you've got children you know and they go back to a trap again yeah. which doesn't help mm. you know and I, I that's that's another thing is very unhelpful about Uh, not having expertise mm-hmm. um or not approaching that there's plenty of people out there that they can use for Absolutely, those kind of but yeah. they're not going to call them in uh, mm-hmm. and they'll give them advice which actually is unhelpful mm-hmm. uh, um i know now nowadays they're more of more kind of um 
interested in how to help people, mm-hmm. but it wasn't so, you know, not mm-hmm. a long time ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So number one would be you'd like to see people with more. So you'd like people to be more welcoming of women. Yeah. Number two would be more expertise or utilizing yes. resources yeah. around you. So what would the third thing you'd want to see in your local masjids to be? Um, well, I, I actually I think um, because there's so much emotional needs mm-hmm. at the moment. I, I would I, I would love to see them having uh, you know mm-hmm. a small room for that mm-hmm. you know to accommodate even mm-hmm. if they train imam yeah. just to speak to them in a regular basis. Children, yeah. young young Absolutely. teenagers, you know. Th- it, I think it will be helpful because it's a a place where everybody goes to. Yeah. Mm. I think, you know, bridging the gap between secular and spirituality, Mm. sorry, spiritual uh, uh, platforms is is definitely really needed. Mm. And I wanted to ask your, because I've come, (coughs) sorry, I've come across some people who um, are very much like, Islam and and getting medical help is completely separate. Like you do your mm. Islamic practices and then you go to the GP and and you get yeah. your medication and that's it. And they shouldn't they shouldn't be combined. They're two separate yeah. sort of entities. So you know, is intercultural therapy or faith sensitive counselling like really needed? Like how effective is it? Like what what is it about you know uh, uh, intercultural therapy or faith sensitive counselling that is so needed what what why yeah why is it needed yeah it's actually uh vital mm-hmm. you know because like i was saying um earlier that uh, people are unique they have we are not all same mm-hmm. and we have a uh, dimension to us are unique and whether it's cultural or whether it's uh, faith mm-hmm. you know spiritual um they're all unique so if we can't sort of give them uh, an uh, an angle mm-hmm. of uh, for example completely different than what they come with you know mm-hmm. because they they're not going to be fam- they're not going to understand it they're not going to be familiar with it and i i have seen in my work um i mean a lot of people kind of the non-Muslim people, they will sort of say, well, you know, you don't really need faith, you Mm. don't really need... But we realize actually through generation of... And for many, actually, long time, we've been talking about how black people, how Asian people are not accommodated Mm. um, in uh, about their culture and and their ethnic background and uh, the the suffering they suffered, Mm -hmm. all of which they carry it. Mm-hmm. You know, now we have epigenetic, for example. We know that it transfers as well through the gene. What is um, epigenetic? Sorry, I've never heard of that. Sounds like a smart So word. basically, <laughs> people who have s- suffered, um, uh, you know, like centuries ago, okay. it can carry a new oh, gene and then it okay. can still, um, you know, uh, you will find that in mm. them, you know, their, their aspects that it shows up in mm. their behavior, in their ways. And... Um, Obviously, the cycle continues. Like, for example, mm. in certain uh, culture, that the the you know, like the way father par- parent parenting mm-hmm. happens in the mm-hmm. house. Um, 
the cycle continues so for example if they for example hit their children the the mm. children when they grow up they they hit mm. their children and then okay. they seem to think like they learn behavior yeah exactly okay. then obviously this kind of thing continues so somebody needs to be able to break that cycle okay. in order to you know free yeah. themselves from something harmful mm. so uh, can epigenetics be i guess i'm just i'm just thinking about obviously the refugee crisis currently yeah that's obviously not current it's been happening for a while can epigenetics be applied to like refugee mental health or is it simply like learned behavior not course. simply but is it just learned no, behavior? of course because whatever they carry so each person have a history mm-hmm. we look at their history what what's made them who they are mm-hmm. then we we kind of go and ask them what it is they feel how they feel and how it mm-hmm. is we make comparison you know okay. to uh how we understand and how what's happening to them so in in some ways become an very uh prescriptive and unique for that person okay. and often this is how i see it because it's not i can't just do same counseling for everyone who comes to me mm-hmm. someone comes with a lots of different trauma multiple different uh issues uh multiple traumas um you know what they call it complex traumas and things like mm-hmm. that so they have a uh, complex issues and so w- i will apply the different kind of help for that person mm. uh to the person who is, hasn't mm. suffered that kind of thing um so each person come with for example fgm uh, a lot of people um do not want to talk about it mm. there's a huge stigma am i the one that something abnormal about me mm. you know i don't want to be discussing with anybody this mm. kind of thing but they'll suffer in silence so obviously um mm. You know, we're trained to do this, but then I, it's very difficult to keep these clients yeah. going because so. they find it's huge shame attached yeah. to it. You know, it's a big injustice so, to yeah. them as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so I think it would be a good idea to bounce off, flowing from this topic. Actually, um, we mentioned it earlier about the identity crisis, which I'm hoping you'll be able to bring in. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you what you feel is the sort of the biggest struggle that people are faced with in like nowadays regarding their mental health and their well-being. Yeah, in my work, I found a lot of um, um, identity crises in uh, people like oh from 40 years onwards downwards actually there's a huge issue with um, not understanding for example their parents they're not understanding their culture mm. they're not so it's it's bec- I, i've noticed there's quite a lot of anxiety around that you know and um i mean imagine people say well i don't really know what my parents are on about they're just like aliens and I've, i these are there were some mm. actually the aliens they don't really know what they're talking about and then when i when i kind of try to question them you know think is um trying to kind of find empathy around um the aspect of can you understand what you know where they come yeah. from shall we kind of kind of putting them in their own, uh, their parents mm. shoes this like, oh i didn't look at it that way yeah. you know and i actually do a lot of work and i actually one i have one lady like she's 51 and she she sort of sort of says to me that you know i haven't got a clue why my parents worked 
you know, behave mm. this way. And, you know, in their family, there is a lot of issue with, mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, until now, she's, you know, 51, she's still suffering mm. with that kind of issue. Mm. So, um, do you think that, I mean, I know I have my personal opinion, but I want to hear yours. Yeah. Um, do you think it's a serious issue that younger people lack the ability to have empathy yeah because there is a there's it's a lot of discontent as a result of feeling uh, anxiety mm-hmm. and um you know um feeling a lot of pain and suffering around that mm-hmm. is that because the when they have this western then the and they have the uh, if you want to say it eastern or mm-hmm. you know other culture the because they live in this country there's a huge pull towards the you know, mm. Western and the social media, obviously, mm-hmm. they're absorbed in it so much. Mm. But then their parents saying things, they feel like, oh, well, what are they talking about? Because mm. they don't actually, I don't know whether it's the time mm. um, that they spend in the other yeah. things and then they have very little. Totally, yeah. Because if we spend, invest our time very little in learning about what our parents are Absolutely. about, yeah. there's a huge division between the family i mean i can definitely relate to that i think it was only when i got into my late teens because i think growing up i always thought my parents were aliens and i thought they was really really backwards and i didn't didn't understand anything Mm. uh you know i never i think when my mum first came to this country it was very racist britain was very racist and i never understood why she was so anxious about me going out and i always felt like um, like school and like Western society accepted me, mm. but my mom didn't want me to integrate. Obviously, later on, as I grew up and I realized that actually it was just out of fear, um, a misunderstanding, and lack of communication, and nobody was there to look out for my parents the way mm. that they're there to look out for me. And I think once I understood the journey, like I never heard. <clears throat> I never thought to ask my mom how she traveled to this country. Like I just mm. thought, oh, she got on a plane, she came here, but it's actually a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. And I think after hearing their story and what they went through as growing up and how they, you know, alhamdulillah raised me and my siblings and how we got to the position we are now, it's only then that I understood like, actually they were on survival mode yes. right up until I was educated and I got a job and alhamdulillah I was stable. Yeah. They were on survival mode for so many years. Yeah. Um, and you know i was just like this ungrateful child (laughs) um so i can definitely definitely relate to that um um but i want to talk more about the identity crisis because i think this is something that a lot of people struggle with whether Mm. they acknowledge that it's an identity crisis or whether they don't um so tell me a little bit more about what you have found out about identity crises crises um how it affects young people and like specifically how it impacts Muslims yeah and I do I feel like a family um, you know they they, the children especially their older generation they I think they had um, hadn't sort of bridged those kind of uh, difficulty and then the you know next generation they kind of you know done their own things and then their children so I'm t- talking about a few generations back, their children then become very ultra modern and they're completely detached with their mm. grandparents, for example. And uh, I've seen that, you know, they can't kind of relate to um, their their religion or their culture. And they find it like, you know, 
what is that about mm. and i think the thing is there is a crisis because they still have uh those who they they're not sure what mm. it is their identity see this mm. is the difficulty is that they don't really know where they are what what is their identity mm. and i think the third you know second third generation are mm. in a really huge issue around this is that who how, am i how wh- wh- important wh- do you feel it is to know what your identity is does having an identity play an important part in your mental absolutely. health absolutely it grounds you it makes you it shows it gives you a belonging mm. and we all need that belonging mm. and when you feel that you don't have a, a, a place mm. because that makes sense. Uh, no one seems to be ex- accept you you know mm-hmm. whether you know if if you're not fully white so you're not going to be accepted yeah. and you're not fully Yeah. Uh, brown or black yeah. you know in your in your ac- you know your activity or your behavior mm-hmm. so it, it's like they feel i actually my heart goes out to them to be mm-hmm. honest to the younger people because they don't really feel grounded mm-hmm. anyway unless the parents are actively working with yeah, them and trying to give them that and a lot of people just discharge they them themselves don't know mm-hmm. actually what's going on even mm-hmm. within their children's life because they're not sharing Uh, mm. often so that i've seen a lot of uh, um anxiety around that a lot mm. of suffering around that mm. that people are not able to kind of find their own niche their own mm. you know where they belong and where you yeah. know so it's it, that's that's in itself is actually coming up in in yeah. in depression and yeah. in, in, in you know anxiety they bring to us yeah. you know so i just sometimes um, i can see is that is the um that even i mean it's not obviously uniquely to the um ethnic minorities or even it can happen with the uh, natives yeah. as well that where they have sometimes misunderstood because i suppose the global village the internet mm. and all those kind of thing even sometimes educated children mm. who've gone so far away educated mm. yet they cannot understand back, yeah. their parents any longer yeah. they're like what are my ch- parents about yeah, exactly. and i have seen white british white girls mm-hmm. saying the same thing yeah. because they've gone to like a university yeah. when they came back they can't relate to their parents mm. anymore mm. so it's interesting yeah. how how our environment identity, yeah, yeah our environment and what absorbs us yeah uh then eventually gets detached from our root mm. but then they actually feel um um sort of ill at the end so uh, unfortunately they they then they feel anxiety what's going on mm. you know they feel dissatisfied basically mm. then which brings them back to the counseling mm. room mm. uh so focusing on sort of ethnic minority i suppose we can apply it to any sort of um person or individual or any culture yeah. so i i'm like honing on my own experiences but i feel like for me personally when i was finding myself quote unquote for our listeners and not our watchers um when i was finding myself i kind of went to two ends of the extreme so i at one point i was like nope i'm going to forget about my parents culture and i'm just going to be i'm just going to try and be british and that's it and then that didn't work out for me cuz i love curry and i love asian outfits and all yeah. that sort of stuff. so those parts of my cultures i can't forget about And then I was like, okay, no, I'm just going to be strictly Muslim. I'm not going to do any sort of culture. I'm going to, you know, stick to the Quran and Sunnah and and that's it. And that didn't work out either because at the end of the day I'm still a person yeah. and like you said I need that yeah. belonging. Um and I guess I'm still like trying to find out like who I am and you yeah. know what I'm doing and and that kind of thing and my identity, but 
I don't know how to articulate this, but I feel like it's very. So I have younger siblings and um, younger cousins and nieces and nephews, and I find it really strange that they don't know our culture and they don't want to have anything to do with it because they don't see it as beneficial. Mm. But I think there is something so beautiful in knowing your mother tongue and yeah. knowing about traditions and customs that don't go against the sharia yeah. and i don't know if that does have anything to do with mental health and positive well-being like is is that Absolutely. thing is belonging, it important? I, I think belonging and knowing your root mm-hmm. really does help to kind of ground you yeah. and um and i i think nature is so beautiful as well mm-hmm. it teaches us um uh, things about you know, um, you know, like the the world that we live in, the internet world. Um, it is not. It's it is actually quite artificial, and I just feel Very that artificial. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I I just I often sometimes prescribe my clients that you know go to the park, mm. or have a walk, you know, mm. because sometimes the grounding, the the attachment with nature, does ground people mm. a lot in, mm. in in you know in and calms people down mm. you know when they are mm. very much uh, confused about things absolutely but uh, when you what you're saying about your um, niece and nephews yeah, for yeah. example i mean obviously um, i mean it's, it's to, parents need to be able to be kind of um, be alert about how they pass this mm-hmm. uh, to their children perhaps take them uh, mm. to to their root mm-hmm. and show them the values yeah. um, that they ev- every culture has something yeah. to offer yeah. and uh, maybe then they will appreciate it more yeah definitely uh, you know and i think it's up to the parents because there's another thing that i haven't talked about is mm-hmm. parenting skills mm. that is so lacking sometimes because everybody's busy everybody's running around but I think we've actually forgotten um, mm. how to even sometimes relate to our yeah. um, children. Yeah. Sometimes they do it too much this way, yeah. like too much mollycoddling them, giving them everything yeah. they want. They think that's going to save their children yeah. or make them balanced. But in fact, yeah, actually, definitely. it's just as bad as when you don't give them anything. Yeah, and uh, there are times that I had to actually talk to parents about um, how to parent their children. Mm. and. Um, I've counseled people how to kind of uh, get in touch with their children's mm-hmm. emotion and how to kind of listen to them in a different way and provide them a threshold of not overdoing mm. and not underdoing too much mm. because it's the overdoing and the underdoing uh, also um, can damage yeah, our children. Absolutely. And I think language is also a big barrier. I know you said about how parents is parents responsibility to uh mm. responsibility to educate their children on, on the culture and the roots and stuff like i wish my parents had put as much effort into teaching me my mother tongue as they did arabic you mm. know um because i can just like i speak very broken bengali and i can just about um uh mm. communicate with my parents um but I, I wish I was able to communicate with them on a different level. So translating wouldn't be so hard and interpreting the customs and the traditions and what they want and their mentality wouldn't be so hard. I'm sure you can appreciate, like, even in Arabic and all the cultures, it's so difficult to translate the true meaning of something into English. Like, the mm. meaning just gets lost and yeah. it just leads to, like, you know, I can say something in Mongoli and mean one thing in English, but my mom interprets it, like, in a completely different way. Yeah. Um, 
and I think that definitely um, feeds into the identity crisis as well is not being fluent in, yeah. in your mother tongue because I feel like a lot of people of my generation so second generation immigrants they had to do a lot of translating for their yeah. parents so taking them to the doctors appointments yeah. whatever um, and that I think leads to oh my god I can speak English but I can't speak this but I love my culture and I love my parents but I'm in the western society what do I do um, so yeah like how because I know you obviously said you do therapy in different languages as well do you see the difference in doing therapy in people's mother tongue than when you don't yeah absolutely because I have um, people coming from you know like in the Maya Center we have quite a lot of languages and um, and you know like you said things get lost in translation right <laughs> so in you know like parents saying something they don't understand the meaning behind it and then they just think well mm. they misunderstand quite a bit actually because mm. they're not like you said if they're not if the parents are not teaching them the language they are going to misunderstand quite a lot mm-hmm. and um so there, there is that aspect actually even from the mm. um you know like uh, uh, like second generation mm-hmm. third generation people mm. there's quite a bit of mm. that um i think language languages enrich its people mm-hmm. and of course it would be uh, wonderful I, I think if we could teach our children mm. um in a, you know language and meaning behind yeah. it and um, arabic is as you know is very rich language mm. bengali is also very rich language mm-hmm. uh hindi i mean they have uh, such a beauty in yeah. each language has its own beauty, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And I think it reaches human being. Mm. And um, I think those kind of things would have been much more... Um, I think em- emphasis should be on those kind of things, actually, yeah. rather than um, how our children spend time, what yeah. they spend their time on using, I mean, I don't know, as you know, the social media. Yeah. I know it gets a bad <laughs> image. I know there's also there's some good there's in good it. Side, yeah. But then it's actually very easy to yeah. uh, become, you it know, is. like addicted to something. Yeah, and, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Moving on to like sort of the last few questions. Mm. Um, what is, because obviously you've had, a, you've got a wealth of experience, mashallah. What is the most profound thing that you have discovered in your years of, of work and experience? Okay, so uh, like I was saying to you, that uh, every time people come through, mm-hmm. I, I I feel like they kind of came for specifically as if somebody sent them to me, right? Yeah. And it's very interesting for me uh, spiritually is that you know, like as if somebody organized for them to come to me. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I, I feel like, you know, each relationship that I have with each of my clients, mm-hmm. my work uh, is around the relationship at the, anyway. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder why have they come to me and yeah. not my colleague Mashallah. or someone else in yeah. there, you know. And I actually sometimes find amazingly as there is something that there was a reason behind it, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and their needs, you know, what was their need, what could I offer them? Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, a lot of Muslims do end up coming to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and it's just I mean obviously I see everybody, but mm. uh, when the Muslim come, I'm able to offer them uh, a different like yeah. level. Yeah. yeah, and they're so relieved to see someone yeah, who, who understands them from an yeah. angle. So and again, what we were saying earlier is that um, 
is what we, you know like is the uniqueness of the um, mm-hmm. you know mm. um, of the counseling that's there they hits them yeah like, okay I didn't you know yeah. get it before and now I understand yeah. what you're saying um, so yeah it's very yeah. interesting um, and I do feel like I was saying to you that you know even from the early days I when I analyze because I I sat on counseling mm-hmm. um, for seven years <laughs> before when mm. I was training mm. and um, until I was thrown out by my um, counselor like what are you doing here go away <laughs> so actually enjoyed um, learning about me yeah um, through the therapy and I always feel this is another thing I feel strongly about is that therapists not having therapy themselves yeah and I, sure. do, I do feel that we need to sit on that seat yeah. I was know? just about to ask you that actually is you obviously seem like a very reflective person mashallah but what do you feel um like how, how do you look after your mental health like what do you do to because yeah. obviously it can be very difficult like I've worked in mental health but obviously not the level that you have and I find it very difficult to filter and differentiate between other people's experiences yeah. and my own. Um, and obviously, as like a therapist, you must hear a lot of things and probably quite uh, uh, emotionally like, distressing stuff as well. So, yeah. as a professional, like, how do you look after yourself? How do you maintain your mental health? Well, like I was saying, I had seven years of mm. um, this, <laughs> seven years of sitting in front of somebody. Yeah. Um, and I got to know her because she's very psychodynamic, very psychoanalytical mm-hmm. person, and she discussed nothing about herself. After seven years, I said to her, can I tell you something? Mm. I said to her, um, I, you know, I know you never told me this, and you know, mm. I don't know anything about it, but I think you have two boys and no girls. She just looked at me. <laughs> she looked at me. She's like, oh my goodness. She, and I actually got a bit shocked myself. So she, she didn't say nothing that day. Yeah. She went. And the next time I, she came along and she said to me, Well, you were right. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the, sitting with somebody that long, you see goodness. in depth of that person. It's and for me, lot. my every my, all my clients, it's like it's like a, a tree with the root and the branch yeah. without, you know, and I, can, I sometimes see the skeleton of the person oh, in, in, in the emo- yeah. emotional world and where they are. So for me, the work for me is quite deep. It's like I have to go to the branch go to the root mm, wherever they wow. are and bring them drag yeah. them out of it oh, and for me it's that that kind of deep relational yeah. work uh, happens in 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 psychoanalytical yeah. work and i think a lot of people knocks like oh my god it's psychodynamic it's got all freudian thing yeah. in fact it, freud doesn't even come into my conversation mm. anymore mm. <laughs> you know yeah. i mean i use the unconscious of course yeah. so there's a lot of unconscious work i do uh, the emotion is unconscious yeah okay and but we feel it the evidence is in our feelings that so we feel this is sometimes i do actually i celebrate the idea that actually people uh, when i'm able to kind of connect their emotional mm. world with their logical world you know the forefront of their mind mm. and back of their head it's, it's actually it's a profound finding mm. and people are like wow I never actually thought I was doing yeah. this for so long yeah so this kind of I think people knock without understanding yeah what psychodynamic or psychoanalytical yeah. work is um, I hardly ever think about Freud yeah. or whatever he yeah. said about so, his you know the Oedipal complex yeah. or whatever it is I actually interpret Islamically yeah and mm-hmm. I, I think well you know the profound love between parents and children yeah. uh, for example 
um, it actually drives them. It's a driving force for the rest of yeah, their life. Yeah. So yeah. So I I I always try to marry them yeah, together, Islamic and non yeah. uh, the psychodynamic. Yeah. Work. I'm still yeah. so in love with what you said about seeing people in their emotional skeleton. Like I'm yeah. gonna steal that quote. <laughs> Mashallah, no, this really is lovely. how exactly how I see yeah. it. Because if people don't realize that we come with so much facets, mm. and where are they? Because they're sometimes hiding in a corner, mm. they in a world, in an emotional world. They actually have got no idea. Yeah. And when somebody drags them out of there, yeah. you have to be able to see them like an exhibition yeah. where they are yeah. in order to bring them out. Otherwise, they're just going to be lost in yeah. there. They can go from therapist to therapist to therapist mm -hmm. and never get to the bottom of their issues. Definitely. So I think um, a good counselor, whoever mm -hmm. they are, they're able to do that. They're able yeah. to kind of drag them out of their dark places yeah. and bring them out to the light. And sure. I think that's our work. For me, yeah. I think it's bringing them to the light Aww. from the darkness. Mashallah. You know? that's, I think that's like the loveliest way to, to end. Um, may Allah reward you, Maya, for everything that you do and preserve you and enable you to be the light for those inshallah. who are in, in darkness, inshallah. Shazakhla khair for, for coming in today. Um, and yeah, um, where can our listeners and viewers find you or know more about you? I know you said you're not on social media, but you're on LinkedIn, is that right? I am in LinkedIn. I am on social media. Okay. I put a, a page called Psychotherapy with Islamic Values. Okay, mashallah. Yeah. Is that on Facebook? Is uh, yes, on, on Facebook. Facebook okay. yeah. Psychotherapy uh, with Islamic Values. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Okay, and if any of our viewers like have questions for you, can they email you or get in contact with you or yeah, where yeah. can they find you? Inshallah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you have my contacts. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, so we'll I, post that, inshallah, yeah. in the, in the inshallah, notes. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Well, jazakallah khair for, uh, for coming. Thank you for welcoming my, me here. Yeah, no worries, no worries. It's, inshallah, it's been a journey, back. but alhamdulillah. <laughs> yeah, alhamdulillah. You know, I think, um, again, Allah bring me here. Yeah, and uh, it's always him who uh, brings me to the journeys that I go to. Alhamdulillah. Great. Jazakallah khair. For listening, we really, really hope that you guys enjoyed it and found it beneficial and, and took away loads of gems, inshallah. Um, at Inspiration Minds, we're really, really, really passionate about doing this podcast and keeping it alive and bringing on um, really interesting guests. And we have lots more planned um, for the next year. However, um, at the end of the day, we are volunteer-led. We have a 100% donation policy, which means that we really, really need your help to keep going. So I would like to invite you to join us on this journey, inshallah, by, um, you know, we're on Patreon as well. So if you guys have any spare pennies that you could spare for us, that would be amazing, inshallah. If not, then you can also contribute towards our cause and our mission um, by leaving us a review, giving us feedback. Um, it's really important. It's a great way for us to engage, make sure that we're doing the right thing and make sure you guys are getting the content that you guys want. So please do let us know also um, if you guys have any suggestions for future uh, podcast guests and topics that you want us to cover then please do let us know you could also email info at inspiritedminds.org.uk um, all of the information from today will be found in the show notes um, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review share with all of your family and friends um, we're also on um, all the major social media platforms so instagram facebook twitter um, 
uh, make sure you follow us um, and don't forget to leave a review inshallah jazakumullah khairan assalamu alaikum